Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. And I ask that you turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, as we are continuing in our study of Hebrews. God's word for us. Um, Hebrews, chapter 2, will actually be in verse 14 to 18 today. Um, and let's pause in prayer uh, before we get into God's word this morning. Father God, uh, thank you for this morning. Lord, a time to gather as your people, with your people. I got a time to sing back praises to you, to sing gospel truths over one another. God, to look to you as the author and founder and perfecter of our faith, of our salvation. Uh, God, our rescuer, our hope, our help, our great high priest. Uh, Lord, I thank you that this morning, as we open your scriptures, your Holy Spirit has inspired uh, this word to be written and has preserved it for our benefit today. And so, God, now I ask that by your Holy Spirit, uh, you would grant us understanding in our minds, that you would stir our heart's affection to you, that we may receive this good news of Jesus, uh, and that by your Spirit, through your word, you would transform us to be more like Jesus together uh, in community. We ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2, let's start at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus is our perfect high priest, embodying God's faithfulness, mercy, and help. And this is good news for us. Friday late afternoon... I got a call that no one ever likes to get. The call that a a friend and fellow pastor in town uh, had died tragically. Chris Gerlach, many of you guys knew him. He was uh, part of the pastoral team that led the Crossroads Evans campus. And uh, he and I have become friends over the past several months. And... um, He had visited uh, this congregation as well, and and many of you guys got to know uh, him a little bit and his wife Carla and kids, and I get a call uh, Friday late afternoon that that Chris had died suddenly. I mean, this young 32-year-old husband, father, pastor, a friend, uh, suddenly uh, his life ended. And in times of uh, tragedy like this, we often don't even know where to turn. You know, in shock, we think, how could this happen? In shock, we sometimes have doubts and fears about our faith, about our health, about our friends, and about what we find our security and hope in. Sometimes in times of hardship like that, we don't even see God's hand at work, and often that can cause us to look elsewhere for comfort elsewhere for hope, and and sometimes that can lead us into sin. Sometimes that could lead us into fear and doubt, 
often it can lead us to cling to idols of comfort that are contrary to the gospel. And so, as we reflect on the scriptures today, I want us to take an honest assessment of where we are in our lives, personally. I mean, think about the hardships you face, whether it be the death of a loved one, maybe it's hardship with work and finances, maybe job insecurity or instability, uh, maybe relational tension uh, with your spouse or family members or friends. And I want us to take an honest assessment of where our hearts are in the midst of hardship, doubts, and fear. Because the call of the gospel is not one that you have to get everything sorted in your brain to come to Jesus, or that you have to get everything situated in your heart to come to Jesus, that you have to have all of your beliefs squared away and then come to Jesus, but rather we come to Jesus as broken people with fears, doubts, failures, struggles. And so this is an invitation for all of us this morning as we open God's Word and look to Jesus as the author, the founder of our salvation, the perfecter of our faith. Bring your doubts. Bring your fears. If you're here this morning and you're struggling spiritually with doubting faith, doubting salvation, doubting Jesus, fear of the unknown, fear of the insecurities that your life may bring, whether it be the death of a friend or financial insecurity or relational tension, whatever it may be, may we together this morning open God's Word and see what Scripture has to say about Jesus. Because as we open the Word, Scripture reminds us of God's faithfulness, of God's mercy, of God's help to us because of who He is, not who we are. We see the evidence of God's faithfulness and mercy and help through what He does for His people, not for what His people do for themselves. And the good news is we don't have to look around at the works of our hands to find security and faithfulness and and help and mercy, but rather we can look to God and His work through His Son, Jesus. See, Hebrews teaches us, as we've seen through chapter 1 and chapter 2 so far, it teaches us the the supremacy of Christ and the solidarity we have in Christ, where we find our confidence, our comfort, where we find our community together, and we find ultimate communion with God. Because Jesus is our perfect high priest, embodying God's faithfulness, embodying God's mercy, embodying God's help to us. We see in verse 17 of the passage today, in chapter 2, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So over the next few minutes, as we look at God's word this morning, I want us to see how Jesus, as our perfect high priest, embodies God's faithfulness, mercy, and help for us. Okay, first let's look at this. Jesus is our perfect high priest, embodying God's faithfulness. When we look in verse 17, it says that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is a faithful high priest for us. 
And the word faithful, we, we can't gloss over that too quickly. It doesn't mean that necessarily he is full of faith, but rather he is loyal and unwavering and steadfast and steady. That there is no a fickleness in the person or work of Jesus, that he is solid, that he is strong. The word faithfulness carries with it a, a, a covenant uh, evoking of God's character. We see that faithfulness is, is at its core is a, is a characteristic of God our Father. We see when you open Scripture from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis to Revelation, God is called a faithful, loving Father. This is a characteristic that He has. You see in the, book of Mo, in the books of Moses and the Pentateuch, you see in the prophets and even in the Psalms that God has described time and time again, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Faithfulness at its core is a characteristic that God alone holds true. God never wavers from who he is. He never wavers from his love. He never wavers from his holiness. God is faithful. And when you open scripture in the large plot line of the Bible, God's covenant relationship with his people time and time again is him being faithful while his people are unfaithful. God being steady while his people are wavering. God being loving while his people are loveless. God being uh, kind and slow to anger while his people are uh, wrathful and foolish. You see, God showed his faithfulness even at creation, creating everything out of nothing and giving Adam and Eve the charge to be fruitful and multiply. And Genesis 1 says that he blessed them. God, out of his goodness, was blessing Adam and Eve at creation. Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against the Lord. Brokenness enters the world, and we're seeing the effects of that thousands of years later. But God maintains his faithfulness, even though Adam and Eve were unfaithful. God promises to care for them and to bless them continually in the midst of their rebellion. You see, throughout Genesis, time and time again, we know the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the tribes that come out of that, God's people time and time again are unfaithful, doubting God, fearing God, rebelling against God. And Scripture all the while says that God is faithful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God is a faithful God, unwavering in His promises to His people. Israel throughout the Old Testament is compared to a whoring bride. God being a a relentless, loving husband chasing down his wayward spouse. You and I today, the effects of brokenness are seen all around us in our doubts and fears and sickness. All the while, God is faithful. We are fickle. We chase comfort elsewhere. We sin, we rebel, we even try to do good things in hopes that that would uh, pump us up to be good people that God would approve of. That is all prompted by the fickleness and unfaithfulness of our hearts, doubting who God is and what He's done. But all the while, God is faithful. So as God shows His faithfulness to His people from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the tribes that come out of that, you see in the book of Exodus this wonderful story that you may be familiar with when God's people were in bondage in Egypt, in slavery, and God comes down and sets His people free because He is a faithful God. 
He promises to set them free. He promises to take them to a land where he will just love them and bless them. And the journey along the way was hard. And all the while, God's people were fickle and doubting and grumbling and setting up idols and saying, what we would worship this golden calf or let's go back to Egypt and slavery because there at least we had good food to eat. All the while, God was faithful. And as God is showing his faithfulness to his people, he sets up prophets and priests to serve his people. Prophets who would proclaim God's word for his people. Prophets to proclaim the promises of God, calling for repentance and belief, and to turn from sin and idols, and to turn back to a faithful God who is loving them. He sets up priests to serve the people who who, uh, offer up prayers and sacrifices to atone for sin, to cleanse the wickedness from the people on behalf of the people to approach God and to set things right so that that covenant faithfulness of God can be restored back to the fickleness of God's covenant people. And in the midst of this uh, priestliness, we see that God is faithful. Faithfulness is a characteristic of God. And as we look at Hebrews, as, as we see God throughout Scripture, throughout history, showing His faithfulness, proclaiming His faithfulness through His prophets and through His priests, we get to the book of Hebrews that says, Jesus, Jesus might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. So when you read Scripture and you see God doing faithful things to His people and you see God's prophets proclaiming God's faithfulness and you see God's priests coming and atoning for the sins and cleansing sin from God's people to restore this covenant relationship, time and time again, those are small steps pointing us to Jesus who is the great high priest who once for all is embodying the faithfulness of God to once and for all set all things right between God's un faithful, fickle people and this faithful, loving Father God who is chasing us down in our rebellion. Jesus embodies God's faithfulness in the flesh as a human. Verse 17 says, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is God putting on a man suit, God enfleshed, becoming like his brothers in every respect, being fully man, yet remaining fully God, to be the faithfulness of God embodied in human form. We see in verse 17, that's exactly what's going on. Even back in verse 14, the writer says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So friends, as we look to Jesus as the founder of our salvation, the perfecter and author of our faith, we see that Jesus is our great high priest, our perfect high priest embodying the faithfulness of God for us. But all the while, you and I, day to day, doubt. Right? Think about... Think about the last time you tried to take matters into your own hands. Think about the last time that um, you just said, you know what, I know God's called me to do this. I know God's called me to serve in this way, but it's just not working for me anymore. I'm going to go do this thing over here. Maybe it was a job scenario, right? 
maybe God has presented before you this great working situation, and you're saying, it's just not cutting it, Jesus. I can make more money over here. I can do more over here. Or maybe God has said, I'm going to bless you so that you can go be a blessing to others. I'm going to maybe give you uh, some money or some resources or some opportunity. And that opportunity is not only for you, it's for you to serve others, to point them to me. But rather we say, you know what, I would rather just indulge myself right now. I don't feel like serving other people. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's tension with your spouse. And you're saying, you know what, I know God has placed me in a covenant relationship in this marriage, but I'm kind of done with this. I just want to walk away. It's not working for me. And you start looking elsewhere. God has given you children to parent, and sometimes maybe those kids are driving you a little batty. They do sometimes. Right? <laughs> and maybe you're thinking, you know what, I just I need to get out of this. This is driving me crazy. Or kids, maybe you're hanging with your parents, and your parents are like, oh, they're overbearing. You don't get my mom. You don't get my dad. They're very overbearing. I need to not even listen to my dad. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't need to respect my mom. She doesn't get me. Anytime we have that kind of attitude, it's not doubting your parents. It's not doubting your job. It's not doubting your bank account. It's doubting God. It is doubting God's faithfulness to love you. It is doubting that God and his faithfulness has given you the job that you need, that he's given you the spouse to love, that he's given you children to raise, and that he's equipping you to do those things. So friends, just be honest. You, we're not going to raise hands or just have testimony time. Just you think in your brain and in your heart the ways that you doubt God's faithfulness to you and the ways that our rebellious, fickle, unfaithful hearts manifest. Because here's the good news. There's two parts to the good news. The good news, one, is that we're all in good company because all of us are like this. I'm like it. I'm just not going to tell you how. I'll talk to my wife about it, but I don't want to tell you. Not today. Right? And the second side of the good news is that Jesus is our perfect high priest. That Jesus is God's faithfulness embodied on our behalf. But here's the second part of the good news. So we see that Jesus, as our perfect high priest, is embodying God's faithfulness. But secondly, we see that Jesus our perfect high priest, is embodying God's mercy. And this is important for us, friends. Verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. So Jesus is God's faithfulness, his fulfillment of covenant love to you. God's faithfulness embodied in Jesus. But Jesus is also the embodiment of God's mercy. As a perfect high priest, Jesus is embodying God's mercy. Now, when we see the word merciful, uh, this means uh, it, it is such a fuller definition than we can... I mean, it's actually seen better than I can tell you. I'll tell you, and then we can look at some examples. Uh, it means to not give someone what they deserve. It means to rather give them kindness in a desperate situation. It's like... Being merciful to somebody is not saying, you made your bed and I'll lie in it. Or, hey, it's your fault, dig yourself out of the hole. But rather saying, you don't deserve to be rescued, but I'm going to rescue you anyway. You're a fool, told you not to do that, but here, let me help you. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve, but rather extending kindness in their desperation. 
And when we look in the book of Hebrews, in the context of what the writer is saying here, I mean, if you've been with us the past several weeks, you've seen in uh, chapter 1 and in chapter 2, there are allusions and quotes from the Old Testament. So we're, we're seeing the lens of uh, the New Testament. We're seeing the New Testament through the lens of the Old Testament. We're seeing Jesus fulfilling all that's happening in the Old Testament. So, so track with me if you can, that Jesus fulfilling God's faithfulness that we see from Genesis all the way through the New Testament. Jesus is embodying God's covenant faithfulness to his people. So you can't just read that one statement. You've got to read the whole Bible and say, look how faithful God is in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, Deuteronomy, all the way through the Old Testament. Say, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And then Jesus comes and says, I am God's faithfulness in the flesh. You with me? Secondly, Jesus is God's mercy in the flesh. So when you read all of the Old Testament, seeing how God is being merciful to his people, not giving them what they deserve, but rather extending kindness to them, you see that Jesus is embodying that mercy. So that Jesus in the flesh is God's, the culmination of all of God's mercy from creation to now is Jesus. That Jesus is the mercy of God incarnate. And you see in the context of chapter 2 is the writer is, is using allusions back to the Exodus story. When God's people were in bondage, they were in a desperate situation. They needed to be set free. They needed to be rescued. They were enslaved. And God says, I am a covenant-keeping, faithful father. I will rescue my people. Secondly, he says, I am a merciful father. I will set them free and give them what they don't deserve which is freedom in the promised land. You know, God did not say, I see my people, they are so good and so clean and so holy, I need to rescue them. You know, when God's people were in bondage, there were doubts. There were fears. I mean, they were saying, is God really our father? Look at our situation. For a couple of generations, we've been enslaved, we're being oppressed, we're being abused. Is God really a loving father to us? There were doubts, there were fears, there, were, there was idol worship, there were fickle hearts that were saying, we're not sure we can even trust this God anymore. There were hearts of sin and rebellion in the midst of their enslavement. In fact, God could have said, you know what, you're a fickle sinner, just stay enslaved. He could have done that and not lost an ounce of his holiness. God could have done that and not lost an ounce of his goodness or his faithfulness. He could have done that. But God is merciful. God says, my sinful, foolish, fickle people need to be rescued, and I'm going to extend my kindness to them. See, when you look in the book of Exodus, and that's what, that's what this whole illusion and this whole passage is, is, is recounting back to, to this being delivered from slavery, to be set free from subjugation, and if you know the Exodus story, God's mercy is expressed in a couple different ways. Part of God's mercy to his people is him putting wrath on not his people. Right? What happens in the book of Exodus? For God to say, I'm going to set my people free, he has to kind of wreck the economy of Egypt. Huh? For, for God to say, I need to release my people from bondage, uh, the Egyptians suffered plague after plague after plague. Sickness and disease, gross, bloody water and boils and frogs and death. 
If you know the Exodus story, you know that this is where Passover comes from, is that God's Spirit came down to kill the firstborn son of the Egyptians. And so for God's people to be passed over from the wrath of God, they followed God's instruction to paint their doorposts with blood, and God's Spirit would pass over their household. That's mercy. But on the outside of God's mercy is wrath. For God's mercy to be shown to his people, death had to happen to those who weren't his people. Stick with me. When God set his people free, it was out of his mercy, not because they deserved it, but because he was faithful and he was merciful. And as he set God's people free, as he set his people free, he had priests mediate a covenant relationship between them and their God. If you look in Leviticus chapter 16, you see that a guy named Aaron was a priest. Following God's instruction, he would have atonement for himself. He would also sacrifice a goat and sprinkle the blood of the goat on the mercy seat of the altar for the propitiation of the sins of the people. Saying, look, we have trusted God's faithfulness. We have trusted God's mercy. His spirit has passed over us. The death has passed over us. And he has set us free of his mercy. And so to have this ongoing relationship of faithfulness and mercy with our Father, uh, we are going to have to atone for our sins by blood. And a priest would do that. Leviticus 16, Aaron does that. Propitiation is what the word is. Secondly, in Leviticus 16, you see there's what's called expiation. It's big words. Let's say, everybody say propitiation. Very good. Everybody say expiation. Man, you guys are rocking it. You all have MDivs now. I'm just kidding. If you look, propitiation was... Uh, in your scripture, in your uh, translation of the Bible, it may, it may say atonement, but propitiation is more than just a, uh, being atoned for. It is, it is somebody or something has to die for the blood to be shed, for your sins to be passed over. So in the context of the Exodus story, you, you see that. For God's mercy to be shown to his people to be passed over, the firstborn of, Israel, of Egypt was killed. You see, with the priest Aaron offering sacrifice for the propitiation of their sins, the blood of an animal had to be, had to be sprinkled, it had to be killed and then sprinkled. That's propitiation. Expiation is a different word. I just want to tell you this because you're smart and it's biblical. So expiation is a little different. Whereas propitiation is, is the atonement of your sin by the death of an animal, by the, the shedding of blood, you see that expiation in, Le, in Leviticus 16, they would lay their hands on an animal and representatively passing their sins from themselves to the animal, and then the animal would be sent out into the wilderness to die. And it was representing their sins being taken far from them and the wrath of God falling on that animal in the wilderness rather than falling on those who were sinful. So in the context of this, stick with me, we're getting to where this fits for Jesus. So the priest in Leviticus 16 would shed blood for the atonement of sins and then pass sins onto an animal and and send it out and the wrath of God would fall on that animal over there keeping us safe over here. Here's how Jesus comes in. Priests are foreshadowing Jesus. So when we get to Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, in the context of this 
priestly understanding, is saying, look, Jesus is the faithfulness of God in flesh. Throughout Scripture, God is faithful, 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 faithful. We're unfaithful, but God is faithful, 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 faithful. Jesus is God's faithfulness in the flesh. Secondly, Jesus is God's mercy in the flesh. Just as the priest would slaughter an animal to take away the sin, Jesus has sacrificed himself so that his shed blood has taken away the sin once for all. Just as a priest would say, I am putting the sins on this animal and sending it away so the wrath of God will kill it in the wilderness alone so that we may be spared, Jesus says, I will be that sacrifice. The wrath of God is on me. Friends, if you do not understand that the wrath of God was on Jesus, you don't understand the gospel. It's important to understand God in His faithfulness and in His mercy has wrath against sin. We forget the like, oh, Jesus he has lambs on His shoulder. He does. But He also had the wrath of God on His shoulder. We have to understand that, friends. There, there's a move within Christian circles about how I could never love and serve a, a, a God of wrath. All the while missing the point that, that Jesus took that wrath, that's why I want to serve Him. That's why I want to follow Him. God, had, God in His faithfulness and mercy has every right to... He burns cities to the ground in Scripture. And that's hard for us to digest. We say, how could a loving God do such a thing? I'm like, how could, how could a holy God even love me? That's a mystery of the Gospel. Jesus is our perfect high priest because He embodies the mercy of God, not only shedding His own blood for our forgiveness and atonement, but also absolving the, or, 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 absorbing the wrath of God so that we don't have to. Friends, in Christ, you are, the wrath of God passes over you. Read the Exodus story and you see when God's wrath comes down on Egypt and there's plagues and disasters and, and the killing of the firstborn, that's scary to me. But God in his mercy says, if you are covered by my blood, you are spared. You are free. Jesus, as our perfect high priest, comes and says, if you're covered by my blood, you're forgiven of sin, but also the wrath of God will not dump on you. You are passed over. And this is the beauty of the gospel when we see in verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. I mean, you could rewind a couple verses and see verse 15 that the point of that is that he, was de- he would deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Just look at any philosophical or religious framework in the world and there is at least an ounce of fear in it, right? Look at any religion in the world. You better fly straight or else. You better not mess up or else. You better do X, Y, and Z every day or you will not be one of God's people anymore and many of us fall into that trap we operate in fear thinking oh my goodness i sinned and now god's gonna you know blow me up (laughs) or i'm so afraid that i'll never be good enough to impress god that he cannot love me friends this is where the freedom of the gospel comes in is that that judgment is not on you anymore in christ it was on jesus like you're forgiven of your sins but also the punishment has been sent far away from you. And that's such good news for you and I. 
That's why we don't operate in the fear of death anymore because Jesus, because he's our perfect high priest, is embodying God's faithfulness, embodying God's mercy that through death might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 15, deliver all those through fear of death who are subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, you are no longer enslaved to sin, nor are you enslaved to fear. In Christ, you experience the faithfulness of God's love to you because you are an adopted son and daughter. In Christ, you experience the embodied mercy of the Lord forever. Forever. That's not a license to say, oh man, if I experience the mercy of the Lord, I'm going to just... Man, let me tell you, if you experience the mercy of the Lord truly, you will not want to just hop, do bad stuff. I'll just... I won't give you any examples. Use your imagination and then repent. See, we deserve bondage. We deserve wrath. But Christ, being our perfect high priest, embodies the faithfulness of God. He embodies the mercy of God. He sets us free from Satan, from sin, from death, and from the wrath of God on sin. Scripture tells us that we're no longer objects of wrath, but objects of mercy. We're objects of grace. We're objects of of love and affection from a loving Father who has spared us from the consequences of rebellion. And that's such good news. So, as we reflect on God's faithfulness to us and we reflect on God's mercy to us, thirdly and finally, I'll say this. Jesus is our perfect high priest. He embodies God's help. I love this. Jesus embodies God's help. Now, it's important for us to see when you look in verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, I mean, it's because, because he was the sacrifice on our behalf, the propitiation and the expiation, that Jesus has himself suffered and when tempted, because he was a man, perfect man, tempted but never sent, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Help is a big word here. I didn't really realize how powerful of a word it is in the context of this. Because often we can think, hey man, can you help me lift the couch? Sure, I can. I'm not going to. We often think, you know, somebody is able to help means they have the power to, but you don't necessarily get to tap into it, right? Like, you know, because you can always, I mean, probably there's a commercial like that. Sorry. Um, sorry. TV. It's wicked. Forget it. Um, Often we think of, of help as like a one-time activity. Like if somebody says, Jeremy, will you help me move the couch? I can say, oh, I'm busy this afternoon. I hurt my back. I know I can't help you move the couch. I can help you, but I may not. The way this word is used here, it is an active helping. What this means in verse 18, when it says that Jesus is able to help, it doesn't mean it's just potential energy. It's like kinetic. It's like Jesus is able and he's doing it. Does that make sense? It's not that, well, I know that Jesus can help me, but maybe he will choose to not help me. That's not what the scriptures are saying. The way the word is used here is that he is able to help those who are being tempted. It is an active, ongoing helping. It's such good news to me to know that Jesus, who is God's faithfulness embodied, is helping you because he is God's faithfulness embodied. That Jesus is, is the mercy of God embodied. He is actively helping you out of God's mercy. It's important for us to see that because this will change how we live our lives day to day. 
Because it would be very easy for us to take a step back and say, God is faithful, God is merciful, I know Jesus died for my sins, I'm going to sit on this bench and wait for the Holy Spirit to pick me up and take me to heaven. For Jesus to be our active help means that we say, while I'm on this earth, I'm going to proclaim and declare and demonstrate this good news. When I'm tempted by sin, I'm going to say, God is faithful, God is merciful, Jesus help me not sin here. When I'm tempted to doubt and walk away from the faith or walk away from a relationship or walk away from an opportunity or your job and say, I just, I'm lazy, I don't feel like doing that, or I'm hurt, or I'm wounded, or whatever, you can say, I'm trusting that God and his faithfulness and mercy is actively helping me. God, you are helping me get through this sin. You are helping me get through this doubt. You are helping me get through this hurt. My job is awful. Jesus, I trust that in your faithfulness and mercy you will help me get through this job. My relationship with my spouse or my kids or my parents or my family is not going well. Jesus, you are faithful and merciful in the midst of that. You are the perfect high priest. I know you are actively helping me. Jesus is not detached from your life. He doesn't just save you and say, I've saved you. Figure it out and walk away. Jesus is actively involved in your life. Out of his faithfulness and mercy, he is actively helping. I did backflips when I read this this week. You know why? Because in my fickle, smart, Alec heart and brain, I sometimes doubt. I'm like, God, I don't see it. I know it. I feel it, but I don't see it. That's my confession to you. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever say, I know Jesus died for my sin, but why am I still struggling with my sin? I know that Jesus is going to set all things new, but why did my friend die Friday? That's me. I was angry Friday. Ask my wife, an hour before my son's birthday party, I get a phone call that a friend of mine died. Three young kids, nice wife. What? I had to walk around the block. I was fuming. My sweet wife is like, calm down. I can't calm down. Why? I know God is faithful. I know God is merciful. But what was that? This is where the rubber hits the road. This is when you wrestle with your fears and your doubts and your intellect. You know, it's, it was made into a cheesy song, but it's a great axiom that when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. I'm sorry if you like that song. I wasn't knocking on it, but it's a great statement. If you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Friday night, I was angry, I was sad, I cried, I yelled, I like ran eight miles and was like, ah! And Saturday morning, the good Lord woke me up early, drew my attention to some scripture, and I sat on the back porch and cried and prayed and had two cups of coffee. And God's like, I'm faithful, I am merciful. God's prompting me saying, when in scripture have you ever seen me abandon my people? God's like, people have done all kind of wicked, stupid stuff. I've never abandoned them, ever. Jesus is like, I'm not going to abandon the Gerlax. I'm not going to abandon Crossroads. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to abandon Redemption Church. I'm not going to abandon... This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus embodies the faithfulness of God. He embodies the mercy of God. He embodies ongoing, active help in your life. Jesus is concerned for you. 
He loves you. He didn't just die for you. He is in your life. He is stirring up your mind and your heart. He is going before you during hard times. He is with you in hard times. He cleans up your mess after the hard times. That's what the scripture says. That one word, help, has changed my whole perspective of this passage today. Confession. For he, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Probably be good if I throw out a couple more texts for you here. Exodus 2.23, right? We just talked about Exodus a bunch. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. When you cry out for help, Scripture says... Jesus is able to help. He is actively helping you. Psalm 46.1, the psalmist says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Is that good news? Christ actively does this. He is not just the potential of God's faithfulness. He is not just the potential of God's mercy. He actively is helping us. Have you ever heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves? You ever heard that? Throw that phrase out. It's not biblical. That comes from like Aesop's fables. It's pretty cool. It's Greek, whatever. It's not biblical. If somebody says God helps those who help themselves, well, you know what? When I read the scriptures, I see that God helps the helpless. The good news is that Jesus helps the helpless, gives mercy to the undeserving. He is faithful to the unfaithful. And I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. So as we close today, I want us to think about a couple things. Jesus, our perfect high priest, embodies God's faithfulness. He embodies God's mercy. He embodies God's help. Jesus is God's faithfulness to the unfaithful. He is the mercy to the undeserving. He is the helper to the helpless. And this good news changes everything for us. Everything. And as you walk away today, as we have a time of response, we'll have a time to worship through singing, through communion, through fellowship. We cannot walk out of here saying, that was a good message, or I've never thought about that. It is my hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit would punch your heart the way he did mine Saturday morning. Don't walk out of here saying, I can spell expiation. Awesome! Did you know that God has taken his wrath off of you? It's even better. I want us to walk out of here seeing Jesus as our perfect high priest, embodying God's faithfulness, mercy, and help. We are undeserving. We are fickle. We are unfaithful. We don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve help. And God gives it to us in Christ. This should ignite us to be just unsilenceable worshipers of God. When we walk out of here, I mean, the second I shut my mouth, it's already happening, actually. You're already starting to be tempted to think other things or to feel other things or to rationalize or whatever. You're worrying about work tomorrow. You're worrying about a bill you've got to pay. You're worrying about tension in a relationship. You're going to go to lunch today and get in a fight with somebody. You know it. And you're like, dude, I don't understand it. Jesus is your help in that. This changes everything. It changes our affection. It changes our attention. And so if you're here today and you're a believer, I want you to join me because this is what I've been doing for 48 hours, and I'm just going to keep doing it. I had to like, my wife, yeah, 
I was driving down the road yesterday. My wife was like texting me, hey, can you talk? I'm like, I can't. I need to have the windows down and scream at the top of my lungs a prayer to the Lord in desperation. I was driving down the road just, ah, you know. So if you were on Bel Air Road and you saw me, just ignore me. I was having a moment with Jesus. My quiet times are not quiet. And I put up on my Facebook wall this quote, and somebody's like, oh, is that from the psalm? I'm like, no, actually it's from a metal, a heavy metal song. It's like blasting. But it was written by a Christian, so the words are very psalm-like about, you know, when I cry out to you, you never abandon me. You lead me to a place of peace. And I was just screaming that at the top of my lungs with the window down. And I felt so much better. <laughs> and I was hungry. I was like, man, i got to eat. That was intense. So as we walk out of here, this is if you don't remember anything, just remember this. You don't have to remember anything. Just go home and open your scriptures and meditate on the fact in verse 17 and 18, that Jesus is our perfect high priest. He is merciful, he is faithful, and he is our helper in a time of need. He is God in the flesh giving that to us, and we don't deserve it. This changes our worship, and I want to ask you, if you are a Christian, to repent of your doubts and fears and believe this gospel with me. And be honest about your repentance. Just say, look, I doubt. I'm doubting right now. Awesome. God is merciful. He's faithful. He is helper, okay? Let's embrace that. This changes our community together in your marriage, in your family, in our friendships as a church here, uh, Redemption Church. We get to experience Christ's ongoing faithfulness, his ongoing mercy, his ongoing help. There's not a point where we have arrived. I get God's faithfulness. I get God's mercy. No, you really need God's help right now. We as a community get to embrace this ongoing help, this ongoing faithfulness of God, this ongoing mercy. And that's good news. That's why we meet every week. So just keep coming. Woohoo! And finally, this changes our uh, mission in telling others this good news. Because, friends, let me tell you, if you know anybody that's not a Christian, they are looking for help, mercy, and faithfulness from someone or somewhere. And they will always be disappointed. I see it all the time. Young single folks saying, I just want to get married. They're looking for faithfulness, mercy, and help from a spouse who doesn't even know Jesus, and it's tragic. Or they're looking for that from a job or from whatever. So friends, when you go to the workplace tomorrow or to your school or to your neighborhood or to your family, if there is a non-Christian, you have the great opportunity to steward this grace and say, look, man, that faithfulness you're looking for over there, you'll never find it. You'll only find it in Christ. That mercy you want from your boss, you'll never get it, but you'll find mercy in Christ. That help you need from your spouse, your spouse is is a broken human just like you. You will find that help from Christ alone. That's the good news. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning, a time to gather with your people, as your people. Lord, I thank you for what you're teaching us through your word and God through circumstances. Lord, we know you have inspired scripture to be written, but also you have uh, foreordained the days in which we live. Your scripture says the times and places in which we live were appointed by you. And so, God, we trust our circumstances to you as well. We trust our relationships. We trust the hardships. We trust that uh, those of us in Christ are not experiencing your wrath because, God, we know that your wrath upon sin was taken away by the work of your son Jesus on the cross. But rather, we know the hardship is an opportunity for us to call out to you and trust you as a faithful God, as a merciful God, as our help in our time of need. So, Lord, I pray 
that in this room your spirit would move, that you would bring us to repentance of sin, repentance from idols and doubt, and that you would bring us to a place of faith, of ongoing relational trust and belief in you, Jesus, and your gospel. May this wreck us and change us and shape our identity, shape our community, and propel us to mission to get this good news out. Jesus, I ask that you do this by your Holy Spirit for your glory and our joy, and that the good news would advance. In Christ's name, amen.